Amen. Well, as you're seated, this is a time that I usually release the children, but in the month of August, we don't release the children. And so the children get the incredible opportunity of staying in here with us. All right. Yay. Thank you. All right. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 13 today. Luke chapter 13. And uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you to look there. If you don't, pull out your iPhone, look on there. And if you don't have an iPhone, there's a, a Bible in the seats underneath in front of you there. And so you'll be able to take a look there and follow along with Luke chapter 13. Now, I have a picture that I brought into the office this week. And uh, it's, it's this picture here, and it's up on the screen for you. How many of you recognize what that is? Any of you seen something like that? What is that? What is it? Colors, okay. Well, it's, it, it's a magic picture, okay? It's one of those 3D pictures. You, you remember those from like the 80s and 90s? And, and you would take it and you'd look into it, and as you look into it, all of a sudden this image appears, okay? Any of you ever seen one of those? 12 of you, okay, we're dating ourselves again. All right, well, it's really fun because I took it around the office and I'm like, you know, can, can you see? And, and people would be looking at it, and, and, and you know, it's, it's really something. But I, I, I showed it to someone this morning, Merrill Hansen, and he said, wow, I haven't seen one of those in a long time. It's going to take me a while to learn how to focus. And he picked it up, and he goes, oh, yeah, it's a hummingbird, and there's a butterfly there, and, and he got it, okay? Well, the thing is about this picture is that while this maybe doesn't look like much, when you're able to focus and see the 3D hummingbirds and the flowers and the butterflies that are behind, it's actually an incredibly beautiful picture. But truth is, as I hang this in my office, most people are going to miss the beautiful picture that's in there because they haven't learned how to see it. So they're going to look at it and they're going to be confused by it, but they're not going to understand the beauty that's really there. Today, as we, as we look at the Sabbath, we're going to find out that the same thing is true. The Sabbath is this amazingly beautiful thing that, the God, that God has provided for us. And the truth is, just like this picture, many times we look into the Sabbath and we miss the beauty of what it really truly is. So hopefully as we look at this account of Jesus healing this woman in this, on the Sabbath in Luke chapter 13, we can all learn in a, in a new way how we could see the beauty of what God has designed the Sabbath to be. Are you ready? Luke chapter 13, verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her. And immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from a stall and lead it out and give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. 
Isn't that an incredible an account of what Jesus did on a Sabbath day? Now you're like, wow, that's, it's kind of confusing. There's parts of there that are really, really kind of interesting. And there are. Because, you know, I mean, here's Jesus. He's in the, in the synagogue on a Sabbath. And, and, of course, you know, if you remember, maybe you won't, but if, back in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was, was in a synagogue in Nazareth, in Nazareth on a Sabbath day. And he, he opened up a scroll, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which was handed to him, and he read a text because it was the text that was to be read that day. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to proclaim or to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and sat down. See, Jesus came to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and to release the oppressed. And when he read that in the, in the, in the synagogue, people were confused by it. And then in Luke chapter 6, it, it talks about how he and his disciples were walking through the grain fields and, and they were picking some heads of the grain and eating the kernels. And some Pharisees said, what are you, why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? You're harvesting. And Jesus talked to him about that. And he said, listen, wait a minute. The, 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 the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. In Mark, it tells us that he says to them that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, so we see that Jesus spends a lot of time on, in the Sabbath, and, and that Luke especially recounts quite a few of those times for us. All sorts of healings and things that he did on the Sabbath, especially when he was in Capernaum. So, so as we look at this and we see this, it's hard for us to really grasp hold of because we each have kind of a, a conception of what the Sabbath is. Now, unless you've been on a Sabbath retreat with me, I don't want you to answer. But anybody else, when I say Sabbath, what comes to your mind? Say it again. Worship, okay. Rest. Shabbat Shalom. What's that? Time to reflect on God. Lord's Day. Renewal. Anybody think of rules? It's amazing, isn't it? Because for us, we kind of have gotten, we've stepped away from this. And we, we have a hard time understanding what exactly this could all be. And so when we read the text and we say, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, for us that can be some, somewhat confusing. Because we don't understand Sabbath exactly the way the Jewish people do, obviously. So let's look at that a little bit. What would it mean for them? Well, first of all, our big idea for today, that the thing that we're all going to remember, Sabbath is a special place to encounter God. Sabbath is a special place to encounter God. And you're like, well, wait a minute. What, what do you mean by place? Okay, well, well, place, a lot of times when we think of place, we think of space. Okay, like this church is a place. This, this worship center is a place. And our home is a place. And, and our, the place where we work is a place because it, it involves space. But the Sabbath, you see, is a place in time. It's a place in time. And the very first time that we see this in Scripture is found in Genesis chapter 2. It's in Genesis chapter 2 where God is the first one who, who takes a Sabbath. It's, and we can look at it. It's worth looking at. 
It's way in the beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter 2. And it says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from, the work of, from all the work of creating that he had done. So here we see that, that God rested. Now, what does that mean? Because, you know, the, the text that we read earlier in Isaiah said, man, the Lord never grows weary. So he didn't need to rest, right? It's not like, whew, just got done making Pluto. That was a lot harder than I thought it would be. And everybody's going to think it's a planet. And, you know, it's like, you know, and I'm really tired. I need to rest. No, it's not like that, see? That's not what we're talking about here. And, and I'm, I met with a couple, John and Arlene, this week, and, and we, we talked about this, and, and she shared some things that, that were just really insightful for me. And, and this idea that what actually we're, we're hearing about here is that God was refreshed. Refreshed is what this is, is talking about. You're like, wow, uh, how does that work? How is God refreshed? Because, you know? Well, think of it this way, okay? So, so you get all done doing something, and... and well, let's say you're in the middle of a project, right? You're out in the yard, and you're working like crazy, and you're working really hard, and you get really tired, and you sit down, and you go, phew, I need to rest for a while. And then you rest. But when you're resting, you're thinking about what you need to do when you stand up again, right? right. Do I really have enough energy to get back up again? Okay? Well, that's not the kind of rest we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is God God showed this amazing amount of self-control, right? Because he stopped, which is really, first and foremost, what Sabbath means. It means to cease. It means to stop. And, and, and he ceased. And, and self-control, as John and Arlene were, were talking, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a character of God, a self-control. Can you imagine what could God have created if he wouldn't have stopped? Whew. It's like if he got all this done in six days. But he stopped. He ceased. And this is a different kind of rest. This is, this is when you finish something and you stop and you look and you go, wow, that turned out pretty good. Look at that. Wow. That's the kind of refreshment. That's the kind of ceasing. See, God stopped, and all that he had made, he looked at it, and it was very good. And he stopped, and he looked, and he rested, and he was refreshed by that. That's the first understanding we get of Sabbath in Scripture. God is the one who first takes Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever thought of that before? So, we see that Sabbath is a special place for all because God, God has done that as an example for us. We can emulate God by taking Sabbath. In our text here, we see that, that the Sabbath is a place where everyone can come. And, 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 and this woman who was crippled, who, who after 18 years is probably someone that everybody just looked over. They just overlooked her. But Jesus didn't. He saw her. And he called her forward. And that Sabbath was a special place. It was in a place of an encounter with Jesus for everyone who was there in that place in time. 
The sanctuary, or I'm sorry, the Sabbath is a sanctuary in time. A sanctuary in time, a place where you can go every week to have a special place to worship Jesus. But the truth is, we've become blind to the beauty of the Sabbath. And just like that magic picture, we've missed it. So, some questions. In what ways have you understood the Sabbath, and have you seen it as a special place in time? The second thing we see here is that the Sabbath is often misunderstood. The, the, the synagogue ruler here is very indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? When you really stop to think about it, I mean, you know, when you read the text, it's really easy to think, man, that guy didn't have his head together, isn't it? Isn't that like the first thing you're thinking? I mean, or is it just me? Anybody else thinking that? Okay, good. We're still the minority, but it's okay. But it's like, if this person was really all crippled over and Jesus touched him and healed him, would you be like, whoa, hold it, stop, no, that's not supposed to happen on Sunday. But see, we've got to understand, we've got to put ourselves into the story and into the situation and into what's going on here. The Sabbath is so important to the Jewish people. The first time it's given to the Jewish people is, is in Exodus chapter 16. It says this, bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath first, before it's a commandment, it's a gift for the Jewish people. When does this happen in Exodus 16? It's as they're released from, from Egypt, where they've been working seven days a week, 24 hours a day, all right? They've just been going and going and going. They've not gotten a break. They've had to make bricks without straw, the whole nine yards. Everything's been bad. And so they get out, the Lord feeds them, and the first thing he does is gives them a day. It's almost like he's saying, you remember when I finished creating the earth and I took a day? Here it is for you. I'm giving you this as a gift. And the Jewish people understood this as they looked back. You remember that what God did is he provided enough manna on the sixth day that they would not need to go collect on the seventh. There'd be enough for two days. Some people didn't trust it. They went out and looked, but most people said, wow, this is great. Thank you. What an amazing gift. That's how the Sabbath is best understood. And so for this synagogue ruler, he saw it as this amazing gift that God had given them, a gift of time, a gift of place. And sometimes we can get hard on them because it's like, why did you set up all these rules? But the truth is, as I teach on Sabbath and as I go on the Sabbath retreat and as I talk to people about Sabbath, the first thing people ask me is, so what day of the week should that be? Um, and what can I do? Can I mow lawn? Can I, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do that? Can I go shopping? Can I use my cell phone? Can I, you know, what, what can I do and what can't I do? The first thing people want are what are the rules of the Sabbath? You know, and, and it's like, okay, here's the birthday gift that I got for you. Now, before you open it, here's a whole bunch of rules. You know, don't tear the ribbon. You must cut it here. You know, what's that about? Okay, so when you think about it, it's this amazing gift. But one of the authors I read said this. He said, Israel has not kept the Sabbath. The Sabbath has kept Israel. Who? You see why it was so important to the Jewish people? Because the observation of the Sabbath day is what kept them as God's chosen people. 
the reading of the Torah, all the things that would, would pour into their lives. It's an amazing thing. Abraham Heschel says this, well, actually his daughter, in the introduction to his book on the Sabbath, she says this, when my father raised his kiddush cup on Friday evenings and closed his eyes and chanted the prayer sanctifying the wine, I always felt a rush of emotion. As he chanted with an old sacred family melody, he blessed the wine and the Sabbath with his prayer. And I also felt he was blessing my life and that of everyone at the table. I treasured those moments. Friday evenings in my home were the climax of the week as they are for every religious Jewish family. My mother and I kindled the lights for the Sabbath and all of a sudden I felt transformed emotionally and even physically. After lighting the candles in the dining room, dining room, we would walk into the living room, which had windows overlooking the Hudson River, facing west, and we would marvel at the sunset that soon arrived. The sense of peace that came upon us as we kindled the lights was created in part by the hectic tension of Friday's you see, preparation for the holy day, my father often said, was as important as the day itself. During the busy mornings, my mother shopped for groceries, and in the atmosphere, or in the afternoon, the atmosphere grew increasingly nervous as she cooked. My father came home from his office an hour or two before sunset to take care of his own preparations. And as the last minutes of the work week came to a close, both of my parents were in the kitchen, frantically trying to remember what they may have forgotten to prepare. Had the kettle boiled? Was the black covering the stove? Was the oven turned on? Then suddenly, it was time, 20 minutes before sunset. Whatever hadn't been finished in the kitchen, we simply left behind as we lit the candles and blessed the arrival of Sabbath. My father writes, the Sabbath comes like a caress, wiping away fear, <coughs> sorrow, and somber memories. Can you imagine? Do you have a day like this in your home? What is it that comes to your home like a caress and wipes away sorrows and fears and somber memories? See, for the Jewish people, they held this religiously. Not because of religion, but because of relationship. This was what tied them together with Holy Almighty God. A special place in time, a caress, a gift. The Jewish people called the Sabbath the queen. It's because you see the festivals come once a year, but the Sabbath comes every six days. Imagine. Imagine what that would be like. So, think of it this way. Jim, I come to you and I say, Jim, I've got 11 years for you. 11 years. You can rest, just take 11 years and rest, relax, refresh, spend time with the Lord just for 11 years. What would you say? Right? That's cool. I mean, think about it. Do you realize that an average person, if you observe Sabbath one day, 
every week, in your lifetime, you will have taken 11 years to rest and refresh and reflect on all that the Lord has done in you, through you, for you, with you. Why would you, why would you not take advantage of that? And you're like, well, Chuck, I, I, I get it. I, I, I get that the, the Sabbath was very important for the Jewish people. They actually saw it, one author says, as a jewel. Another, another Jewish author, and, and I, I borrowed this book, and you can see it's been well read, and, and, and it says, to persons looking in from the outside, Jew or Gentile, the Sabbath might appear to be restrictive. A cursory acquaintance with its restrictions might lead one to assume that it is an austere day for those who observe it, a day lacking in joy and spirit. Yet, experienced from within, it's just the reverse. It serves as a glorious relief, a glorious release from weekday concerns, routine pressures, and even secular recreation. Let me read that again. It serves as a glorious release from weekday concerns, routine pressures, and even secular recreation. Now really, think about the things that consume your mind all day long, every day of the week. All right? Wouldn't it be nice to know that you could get a break from that? The Sabbath is a day of peaceful tranquility, inner joy, and spiritual uplift, accompanied by song and cheer. Amazing. Amazing what it is for the Jewish people. And you're like, okay, so that's for the Jewish people. What does that have to do with us? Right? Anybody thinking that? Nobody? Okay, I won't talk about it then. <laughs> I'm going to talk about it anyway. It's interesting. As I've thought about this, there's two gifts that I see from, from God that are, are really offered as gifts. One is our salvation. It's a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. By grace we've been saved. But listen, where did the gospel go first? Do you remember? To the Jewish people. To the Jew first. And then to the Greek. To the Gentile. To us. Now I'm grateful. How about you? I am grateful that the gift of salvation has been passed on to the Gentile people. Amen? Amen. Amen. I am also grateful that the gift of the Sabbath has been passed on to us as Gentiles. It's a commandment for the Jewish people. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And I hear a lot of people who talk often about how they've broken the Fourth Commandment. It's the longest commandment. If you look at it, it's the longest one. And I hear a lot of people who say, man, I worked, I, you know what, I haven't, taken a, I haven't taken a day off in four weeks. And you're like, okay, well, yeah. You realize the fourth commandment's in there, you know, I mean, what does that mean? Does it mean that you don't value it? No, I believe that what it really means is that we don't understand it. We see it as something that's restrictive. We see that we have to give things up when in actuality, we give things up by not observing it. Because you see, the Sabbath doesn't keep us, or we don't keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath keeps 
us. It keeps us refreshed. It keeps us focused. Imagine one day spent every six where you stop and you look at what God's done in your life those previous six days. You just stop. You say, wow, can you believe that God did all these things in my life, through my life, with my life? Can you believe all the ways that God was impactful through me this last week? Wonder what he has for me next week. Okay, that's the beauty of the Sabbath. It's a reflection, but it's an anticipation as well. And it positions us in a whole new way to remember whose we are and who's, who we've been created to serve. And that's what the Jewish people understood. So it's natural that they put these regulations on it because they wanted to preserve it. They wanted to make sure that it didn't get distorted. And that was especially important for them because of all the different times that they were in, in different situations. You know, think of all the things that happened to the Jewish people between the time of, of Moses and, and the commandment and the gift of the Sabbath and the time of this writing, the diaspora, Babylon, Assyria, all the things, all the places that they had been spread all over the world. And the thing that held them together was Queen Sabbath. So it was important for them, not because of the regulations, but because of the gift that it was. So they put the regulations to protect the gift. Does that help you understand that a little better? But the beauty for us is that we're able to step into this as well. So, some more questions. In what ways has a misunderstanding of the Sabbath caused me to miss a special encounter with God? Has it caused me to, be, to miss being set free? The amazing thing about this particular Sabbath that we're looking at is that Jesus heals this woman on a Sabbath. Now, we know that Jesus healed people all the time he was on earth. But it's exceptional when we see that he healed people on the Sabbath. And there's several places in Scripture, seven different spots in Scripture, where it shows us that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. One of those was in Capernaum when he healed Peter's mother and healed all of those other people. Jesus, it seems, loved to heal on the Sabbath. So I, I ask you, is there something in your life that you need to be healed from? Is there a, a hurtful relationship? Is there some unforgiveness or bitterness? Is there, is there some, some uh, affliction that you have that you need to be healed from? Have you been avoiding Sabbath? And in so doing, have you missed the place where you could find the healing touch of Jesus? Because he loves to heal as you take the Sabbath. Because what Sabbath is, is a moment in his arms. It's a moment in his presence. Now, does that mean, am I saying that, that because you spend a Sabbath, you don't have to open your Bible any other day during the week? No, of course not. Am I saying that you don't have incredible moments with God along the way? Of course not. There's always those moments in our lives. But understand that if I bump into somebody I barely know during the week, it's much different than if I bump into somebody I know intimately during the week. And so as I've come to spend Sabbath time and I've come to know the Lord intimately, the moments when I bump into him during the week, I recognize him quicker and differently because I've been with him in the Sabbath. Finally, 
what we see is the Sabbath is a place to find joy in the Lord. Our text tells us here that when Jesus finished talking, his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. That's to be understood. Can you imagine that, that there's this amazing gift called Sabbath and they've been trying so hard to do it right and they've now discovered that it's something even more than they ever thought it was. Isaiah chapter 58 is a wonderful chapter with a couple of verses that speak about the Sabbath. And I think there are two of the most powerful verses there are on the Sabbath. Isaiah chapter 58. And we'll look at verses 13 and 14. Verse 14 starts by saying, Then you will find your joy in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord. I wonder where is it? Where is it that you find your joy? Where is it that you find your joy? We've each been designed to search for joy. Maybe it's a hobby that you have. Maybe it's a special relationship you have and you find your joy there. Maybe you find your joy in your job or, or your joy in some relationship or, or maybe you find your joy in the things that you've accumulated or, or maybe your joy is in your retirement account or maybe your joy. Where do you find your joy? Each one of us has been designed by God to find our joy in him. Anything else that we go to to try and find our joy is just a, an imitation that will fall short. So finding our joy in the Lord. And interestingly, as far as I know, this is the only place that this exact promise is found in Scripture. But it comes with a condition. And the condition is found in verse 13. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, you see, that's what's interesting. It's God's holy day. You remember that in Genesis 2, he set aside that day and called it holy. It's the very first thing in Scripture that's called holy, is the Sabbath, his holy day. Whether you observe it or not, it's still a holy day. If you call the Sabbath a delight, and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, and not doing as you please, or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Whew. Is Sabbath really important to God, do you think? It would seem from this text that the answer is yes. Do you call the Sabbath a delight? Have you ever really considered bringing Sabbath into your life? Now, I remember when I was a kid, and it was a hard thing to find a place to buy anything on a Sunday because all the stores were closed. We gave that up, didn't we? We gave that up. We gave that away. And so now it's harder and harder to fit this into our lives. But I would say to you, it's even more important now than it's ever been before. So I would urge you to consider how could you keep the Sabbath? How could you and your family begin to keep the Sabbath? Not so that you can say you kept the Sabbath, but so that you could say the Sabbath has kept you. Isn't that amazing to think of? So I have this picture, and I wish you could see the beautiful hummingbirds that are in here, because they really are very stunning. And most of us will miss it. 
but I have this beautiful picture called the Sabbath as well, a gift that God has given. And I pray that each one of us will learn in new ways how to discover what it means to spend that time with God. Lord, I thank you for the gift of the Sabbath. I praise you for that, Lord. Forgive us for the times we've misunderstood it or the times that we haven't seen it the way that you've seen it. I've thought to myself, Lord, as I've prepared this message of all the times I've prepared gifts for people and the anticipation I have for when they, for when they open it and how much they'll enjoy it and how discouraged I've been when it seems like the gift wasn't appreciated. And forgive us for the times, Lord, we haven't appreciated the gift of Sabbath as you've given it to us. But Lord, search our hearts and help us, Lord, in those places where we long to experience that, to begin to stir towards that. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.